0: whether it's at work, in a social environment, or at home, we take on pressure to make rushed decisions. When checking the facts, rushed decisions tend to cause more problems than they solve. We base these pressured decisions on, one, jumbled memories and biased experiences in the past we try to translate to the present, two, opinions of others, and three, what gets us furthest from the bad stuff rather than what gets us closest to the good stuff? This means the pressured decision is about relief rather than resolution. This relief now means grief later, perpetuating our problems instead of resolving them. In this episode, Dr. Kashi teaches the framework of sound decision making. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to (laughs) Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. And in today's episode, Dr. Cashy's kind of confession, (laughs) one reason and 10 ways your brain is wired to be lazy and oversimplify, part one. But there is a glimmer of hope. Hint, you can fix it. Today, Dr. Cashy is scratching the surface of cognitive experiential theory popularized by the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, specifically how it contributes to impulsive decisions by virtue of cognitive bias. Good morning. Good morning. Lots of fancy words here. All right. See if I can get Bob the Blob to help us out. Bob the Blob can help us out here. Uh, Dr. Cashy's nerd translator. Beep, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Hmm. Okay, Dr. Cashy's Nerd Translator says this means you use experiences and, and jumbled memories, as it were, of the past to make quick sense of what is happening now. This results in reactive decision-making, especially when stressed, thereby perpetuating problems instead of solving them. Bummer. <laughs> However, Dr. Cashy has her back. He thinks by giving you his bias of how these phenomena interact, you'll increase the space between stimulus and response, affording you the opportunity to inject logic and reason, thereby influencing the outcomes in your life now and later. Now and later, right? So a little bit of background here. You may have heard of the the hit book, Thinking Fast and Slow, by Nobel Prize-winning Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Daniel Kahneman, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) This book popularized the dual system of cognitive processing, originally, I think, pioneered by Dr. Seymour Epstein as the cognitive experiential theory. So I'm gonna combine both of their terminologies because I think that's fun and I can, (laughs) right? In Dr. Epstein's work, decades earlier, then Dr. Kahneman's hit book was published, he described an experiential system of thinking and a rational system of thinking. This manifests as Kahneman's system one and system two respectively, right? This concept of thinking fast and slow was made famous, I'll say, by its implications of how and why people buy things, also known as behavioral economics. (laughs) Therefore, Dr. Kashi takes a position that it has a direct application for helping you moderate impulsiveness where you shrink that space between stimulus and response, especially when employing cognitive laziness techniques that we colloquially refer to as bias. I've got 10 good ones that you should look out for, and we'll be discussing those in depth in the next episode. For now, Dr. Cash is laying the groundwork of these fundamental decision-making frameworks that are the backbone of experiential impulsivity, the type one brain, so-called, and the rational thinking, type two brain, (laughs) so-called. The behavioral biology, like the reason humans act like this, the behavioral biology of this impulsive versus rational bifurcation in thought processing is chalked up to the ever so convenient energy conservation, specifically under stress, thereby contributing to survival. Uh, Aside from that specifically under stress part, Dr. Kashi has a strong distaste for terminology like this, like energy conservation and survival, uh, mostly because uh, (laughs) staying alive and passing on genetic material is literally the reason why in a free living environment, there is any form of heritable behavior. There's either a neutral or positive impact on survival and reproduction, so that's as far as we're gonna go into that. Hope that's okay with you. Uh, The impulsive system one brain is fast, it feels automatic, it's emotional, and it's influenced by the ugly psychological binary rather than Dr. Cassie's beautiful biological continuum. And in a time of stress, creatures with brains, including humans, they're wired wired to make decisions fast, gotta go fast, right? And this can only happen when you fill in the blanks with your perception of previous experiences and jumbled memories, because that's all you got when you're super stressed out, right? Well, what does this mean? It means that when you're stressed all the time, you literally cripple your intelligence all the time. (laughs) When you're stressed all the time, you literally cripple your intelligence all the time. That is crappy. I gotta say it, that is crappy, right? The rational system too. brain is slow. It deliberates and it's based on or in accordance with logic and reason. It is influenced by Dr. Cash's beautiful biological continuum rather than the ugly psychological binary, satire intended. (laughs) By being purposeful and calculating, you eliminate black and white thinking and can live in shades of gray. Distractions, stress, physical and mental exhaustion, urgency, Emotional arousal, specifically polar, like anger and depression, uh, and central arousal. Think of like heavy breathing and high heart rate. Uh, they hamstring your rational system to brain. Now, Dr. Kashi knows you have an intuitive understanding of, of, of how making a decision relieves stress. You know how I know you know this already? The longer a decision hangs in the balance, the worse it feels. Also, this is a relative length of time. Give you an example here. Uh, A split-second decision that goes on for even a few extra seconds, it's agonizing. (laughs) It's agonizing. It feels like an hour, right? And a two-minute decision that lingers maybe for a whole day, it exhausts you. you There's residual. It's like this strange intellectual inflammation, I suppose you could call it. Uh, And this agonizing and exhaustion, it is relieved when you make a decision. It feels good to make a decision. We all know that because this agony and exhaustion, you cut it off after the decision is made. However, if the decision is influenced by your impulsive type 1 brain, then it results in what Dr. Kashy calls stress guessing, stress guessing. Stress guessing is what allows you to make a decision while stressed, thereby eliminating the agonizing and, the, and exhaustion of, of making a decision at the very real cost of making a crappy decision. Probably. Probably. A decision that causes and or perpetuates problems instead of solving problems. This happens in part because you integrate cognitive bias into decision making, which we'll go into further depth in the next episode. For now, this is just essentially described as your way of rejecting and distorting reality by oversimplifying, erroneously translating other memories and experiences, assuming the outcomes, removing options, or otherwise tricking yourself into adding certainty, impulsiveness adding certainty and, um, adding certainty to your decisions, which is essentially impulsiveness depending on how you look at it, rather than adding probability into your decisions. So it's impulsiveness versus rationalness, right? Always looking for certainty. So you, you reject reality and substitute your own and in that reality you have become certain in the decision that you make, okay? So impulsiveness rather than rationalness. So it'd be certainty rather than probability. Right, probability is better. Yes, making a decision does mitigate the agony and exhaustion of letting a decision linger. The result is that when your thoughts are neglected, especially when stressed, even a tiny bit, you rely on the type one impulsive brain. This cripples your intelligence by using cognitive biases, saving energy and increasing rate of survival See why Dr. Cashy is weird about these blanket explanations? <laughs> the sobering truth is that in today's world, saving energy translates to laziness and impulsivity uh, to increasing, uh, well, sorry here, let me start over here. Saving energy translates into laziness and impulsivity. Increasing rate of survival translates into self-sabotaging decision-making and a handicapped resilience response. <laughs> Catching yourself when you trip avoiding a pedestrian while you're driving, scoring the winning point in the last couple seconds, these are realistic and contemporary manifestations of when your impulsive system one brain has your back. A vast majority of times, what you rationalize as simplification is really just a manifestation of a perceived attention deficit. Dr. Cash your translator, Neurotranslator, beep, boop, beep, boop, 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 all right? In other words, Again, you reject reality, substitute your own, and this form of cognitive laziness is masquerading as energy conservation. And these tactics to conserve energy are the literal cause of all the wastage of processing power from being stuck in cognitive looping from worry, stress, doubt, and rumination that are caused and maintained from the impulsive system one brain decisions. Yikes, yikes. So going towards a solution here, foster your rational system two brain Right? Remember the stimulus, the response, and the space between. Look at Dr. Cassie's episode of Wasting Processing Power uh, because rumination and circular logic are hemorrhaging your precious brain force. After freezing the decision in time with what little attention you have left, you can use your cognitive appraisal methods mentioned in that episode. All right? Take the attention you have left, use it to temporarily focus, stopping the cycle. This frees up your intellectual resources. When, you've, when, when this happens, you increase the space between stimulus and response so that you can inject logic and reason. You interrupt your stressogenic brain pathways and actively put your learning points into growing the resilience response pathways. By relative comparison, this shrinks your stressogenic pathways by growing and strengthening your rational thinking muscles. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. <laughs> I'm going to summarize all this here. In this episode, Dr. Kashy put forth his bias on the interactions between two systems of thinking, their interactions with cognitive bias, and how, in today's world, impulsive decision-making perpetuates problems more than it solves them. While these two systems are normally used in the context of why people buy stuff, Dr. Kashy thinks this has a meaningful application for helping you make better decisions every day by fostering your rational system two brain, especially when stressed, and by purposefully cultivating your resilience response. When you are lazy and you you neglect your rational thinking, you lean on your impulsive type one system brain, okay? Even if you're relaxed, I'll say that again. When you're lazy and neglect your rational thinking, you lean on the impulsive system one brain, even if you're relaxed, even if you're relaxed. In other words, you literally teach yourself to rely on what Dr. Kashi calls stress guessing, literally teaching yourself to rely on that for regular decisions. So in the context of this episode, you solve this by strengthening your rational decision-making pathways, your system 2 brain, by increasing the space between stimulus and response and affording yourself the opportunity to inject logic and reason, influencing the outcomes. Dr. Cashy needs you to ponder the following question. Would you rather do something that has a 100% chance of failing or 1% chance of success? Ponder away while I sip. (sighs) Okay, maybe when calm, cool, collected, right, the answer feels obvious. Always go for the chance to succeed, right? Always go for the chance to succeed, right? However, when there is stress around a decision, I'm sure you know exactly what it feels like to just stick with what you know, even if what you know is gonna fail, okay? People would rather be 100% sure they'll be miserable than 1% sure they'll be happy. Think about that. When categorizing your previous experiences, I'm willing to bet it feels like there's a greater comfort level with a for sure failure than a possible success. You know, honestly, looking back. And I'm paraphrasing Dr. Virginia Sater here because she sums it perfectly. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> okay? Paraphrasing her. People prefer certain misery over the misery of uncertainty. Hmm. Restated, a sure thing beats a risk even when the sure thing hurts you, right? Why is this? Why is this a thing? Why the aversion to progress, even in the face of damning evidence? Maybe your allergy to success is worse than your allergy to frustration, boredom, and anxiety. It sounds stupid when I say it like that, right? But I'm gonna defend that position. I'm actually gonna defend it, all right? Uh, So that you can step back and audit the way you make decisions to build a a success allergy tolerance, as it were, (laughs) all right? And we'll visit that again a little bit later. Uh, Dr. Kashi is actually going to defend that position. So I just want to be clear because that's funsies for me, right? Now, when your expectations deviate from reality in a tiny way or a big way, it gets stored in your brain like a wine stain on a white carpet. It's a cognitive toxin if there ever was one. And this is why fostering the resilience response is so important. And I'll make a whole episode on that too soon, I think, in terms of uh, the cognitive stain on the old carpet of red wine, okay? (laughs) Anyway, after you survive the threat of violated expectations, right, you'll be more prepared to make the decision next time. When there is an expectation to reality mismatch, five things happen. I've got the whiteboard of wisdom here. Dr. Cash's White of Wisdom, make sure this is in the right order. All right, the first thing that happens after there's an expectation mismatch and following situations that are tangentially related, there's a hesitation to act. Oops, this side. There's a hesitation to act, right? And then, and when you hesitate to act, you scan for threats. You scan yourself, you scan others, you scan the environment. And then you create doubt. That's easy to do. And then categorize that doubt as a threat. And when you, when you categorize something as a threat, you default to that system when thinking, right? Step number four is you recall and anchor previous bad experiences to further justify your hesitation to act, all right? And as a result of this, as a result of this you start pooping out depression points, all right? Depressive thinking manifests as a result of the friction from this cognitive looping. So the way I see it, every time you go through this loop, of hesitation, scanning, doubt, recall, and anchoring, every time you go through that loop, you create some friction, and that friction is emitted as depressive thinking, okay? And I'll get into those things specifically in another episode, I think, because a whole bunch of these things are, are fun and exciting. I can get deep on them. But for now, those are the context clues that should guide you along the way, right? Step one, steps one through four are the loop, right? And then step five is the output and it perpetuates itself that way, and all these residual depressive thoughts accumulate. Right, the more loops you go through, the more depressive thinking emerges. How freaking exhausting, all right? (laughs) Each time the wheel cranks, friction is generated, and that friction is emitted as depressive thinking, and you go through enough loops, and this this depressive thinking turns into a full-blown depression. Or you can skip all that crazy nonsense and rid yourself of the agony and exhaustion by stress guessing. Woo! right? We discussed that a little bit in a previous episode. And a quick review of that, Dr. Cashy's stress guessing is when you make a decision, an impulsive system one brain type decision, so you can stop the agonizing exhaustion from the loop <clears throat> and, and even if what was causing the loop was probably the result of one of those impulsive stress guessing decisions. But that's for another time, all right? So here's Dr. Cashy's defense of certain misery as I'm going to call it, right? At least insofar as why it makes more sense than defending a risky success, right? In the context of this episode. So Dr. Kashi thinks the single most toxic cognition condition is your brain can endure is when your expectations deviate from reality, right? For that reason, you actively alter reality to meet expectations so that you can survive the insane level of pressure and noise, one, in the world at large, and two, the world in your head. This is how you stop yourself from and pull yourself away from this chaotic looping. This is also where cognitive biases are important. Yes, I said it, all right? Is it lazy? Yes. Does it oversimplify? Yes. Does it protect you? Yeah, kinda, right? Does learning on this cognitive self-defense system foster success in your life? No, Dr. Cashy doesn't think so anyway, all right? It is here, though, where cognitive biases come into play. Ways you eliminate hesitation and increase your certainty, even if it's the perception. And the following are... Dr. Cassie's biased and semi-arbitrary interpretations of 10 different cognitive biases, shortcuts, and assumptions. Busting out the whiteboard of wisdom one more time, because it is double-sided whiteboard of wisdom, twice the wisdom, twice the wisdom, right? So keep an ear out for the ones that are calling out to you. I think this stuff is fun. Think about the shortcuts and assumptions and biases you use to make your life make more sense, reduce anxiety, give you certainty, right? Let Dr. Cassie know in the comments which ones you do. Actually, that's a trick question. You use all of them. Just pick your favorites. How about that? All right. All right. <laughs> Number one, overanalyzing. Dr. Cashy's favorite, overanalyzing, right? Waiting for the perfect time and the perfect information to make your risk zero, right? Okay. Number two, certainty bias. Where you're rigid and stubborn, thinking in terms of absolutes instead of probabilities. This can even mean sticking to bad decisions because, well, the decision has been made. And the thought of changing your mind feels worse than dealing with the bad decision, right? Number three, what I call the karma bias, although this has taken other forms, you know, the just world, things of that nature. Essentially, what goes around comes around. Good things eventually happen to good people and bad things eventually happen to bad people and they get what's coming to them, All right? That's a classic one right? The next one is the completion bias. And this is where there are holes in a story and you start filling in blanks to feel more comfortable. Well, it's getting awful late. That means her meeting must have ran long. Must. See that certainty in here? The meeting must have run long. Ah. <laughs> filling in those blanks and giving yourself certainty, relieving anxiety, right? Next, the control bias. Victim or victor. It's quick and easy to take all the blame, for the, it's, it's easy to take all the blame for the outcome and all the responsibility for the success, one or the other, right? This is very common in like first responder sort of situations, right? Again, it's quick and easy to take all the blame or zero blame for the outcome of something that happens. right? next is the negativity bias. And this is ignoring the possibility of positive outcomes, focusing on negative outcomes in the past and future negative outcomes will routinely outweigh future positive outcomes. Next is the single-edged sword bias. This is an understanding that, yeah, something can go wrong, right? Things, things can go awry, but maybe you only explore the benefits of an outcome with any depth while blatantly neglecting the weigh the consequences of a poor outcome. <laughs> However, by thinking this way, you can justify all negative outcomes as unintentional. Okay? Next is the attributional bias, number eight. <laughs> Mistakes made by other people. They feel like they're on purpose and intended to hurt you, but your mistakes, obviously, those are, those are accidental and definitely the result of the situation. It's all circumstantial. Yeah, all right. Next is the dismissal of anomaly bias. This is probably one that appeals to me a lot, okay? And this is ignoring something that happens out of the norm just because it's out of the norm and defaulting to a simpler and or more obvious explanation of what's happening, right? Next is the outcome bias. Uh, Dr. Kashy thinks this is the nastiest one of them all, right? And this is judging the validity of a decision, judging the validity of a person based on a result, rather than the reason, logic, and evidence that the decision was based on. This means that you reward stupid decisions that turn out well. It means you end up punishing good decisions that maybe turn out poorly. The best decision can have a poor outcome, and in cosmic accidents... <laughs> Horrible decisions can result in good outcomes. (laughs) Now, for the bonus, there's a bonus here. Little bonus in red, survivorship bias, because as I was thinking about the uh, outcome bias, the survivorship bias kind of ended up shooting out here, so it's a survivor, all right, as it were. And this is, remember the cosmic accidents, right? Crappy decisions can result in cosmic accidents with great outcomes. And uh, some people, unfortunately, cite these miraculous stories as evidence of a reasonable decision-making platform. If this happened to one person, then it can happen to me. (laughs) All right. So let's summarize here. Craving for certainty is partly why it's easier to make a decision that's 100% likely to fail than it is to make a decision that is 1% likely to succeed. Uh, This is both damning and freeing. I think damning because you can get stuck in a rut and freeing because Dr. Keshe can help you repurpose these cognitive shortcuts to get you out of it. Right? So here's, here's what we learned today. A review of the impulsive system one brain and the rational system two brain that violated expectations are the supreme toxin to your cognitive computer, fostering risk aversion and depressive thinking. And oddly enough, that's why it makes a ton of sense to go with certain misery instead of miserable uncertainty. You use, we use, everyone uses, cognitive biases, assumptions, and shortcuts to prevent, stop, and interrupt this looping. Because although changing the world is impossible, changing how you see the world is possible. And there's your big hint. There's the big hint, right? Too low of a tolerance for risk, and you develop an allergy to success. (laughs) Grow your tolerance via self-coaching and through graded exposure to controlled failures, thereby fostering your resilience response. It's a systematic way to learn from mistakes and otherwise to put those those experiences on the biological continuum, all right? Boiled down, you crave certainty, I crave certainty, we all crave certainty, and waving a magic wand and changing the world is impossible. For that reason, it is sensical to modify how you see the world, and this is exactly what you do. From the outside, though, it's easy to see how these sorts of ways to modify the world can be ugly and damaging, however, what you soon come to realize is that you can hijack this exact same machinery to work in your favor. And that is what Dr. Casci is all about. <laughs> so in conclusion here, this is why coaching yourself is so important. You can use graded exposure to build a tolerance to your, su- to, to tolerance to your allergy to success, <laughs> right? Opening up the top while also protecting the bottom, right? And analyzing controlled exposures to failure where you understanding the worst case scenario is tolerable right that's how you end up doing it and this positions you to inform future decisions in other words you can weaponize the preference to choose certain failure by managing your expectations about how that failure helps you to succeed this in so many words embodies dr kashi's resilience response so if you're interested in honing your rational brain then let dr kashi know by sending him a message and leaving him a comment he gets back to all of them want to continue having coffee with dr kashi head over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out!